following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Send the fourth and fifth graders out. You continue your worship service with Miss Jessica now. Pastor Jordan, teach us about Galatians. What's that? Teach us about Galatians. Hey, let's do it. All right, Galatians chapter 5 is where we are at today. Galatians chapter 5. We are looking at the first 15 verses. I'm going to do a little bit of a disclaimer here because my kids are done with school. And the past week at the Muck House has been nuts. There are so many kids in my neighborhood and at my house, and I see some of my neighbors here, and I'm just going to send them to you guys' house. And they're like, no, don't do that. Man, it is just, uh, I told Bethany the other night, I said, they're always here. They never leave. Like, when do they leave? And you guys who have kids who are older, you're like, they will, I promise. And then they'll come back. And that's not good either, right? Man. You know, it's interesting thinking about my kids, and I don't know if your kids do this or not, but it's, it's funny how kids try to gain approval, right? They try to gain their mom and dad's approval. They try to um, show me in weird ways that they, they love me, and um, it's, it's so funny. All sometimes I want is just for them to clean their room and give me a hug, and, uh, and they try these weird ways to, like, uh, gain my approval. And we do that with God, don't we? Like, I think we try to gain God's approval, whether we are, are aware of it or not. And as we were looking in Galatians, these past four chapters, it's amazing at how much these Galatians, these Gentile Christians who just came to know Jesus, are so confused because they're infants in the faith. And they're confused by a couple of things. Number one is they're, they're confused on how to gain God's approval. Because Paul came in and he preached to the Galatians and he says, if you confess that that you're a sinner and you believe that Jesus Christ is Savior, you'll, you're, you're gonna be, you'll be saved. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. The same thing he told the Galatian church is the same thing he told the church in Ephesus. 
He says, it is God's grace that is bestowed freely upon you. And so, like infants, they come to know Jesus, and, and they're super excited about it, and they kind of stumble their way uh, in, in this newfound relationship with Jesus. And if you've ever seen somebody who just came to know the Lord, it's so funny because they do things, and they kind of look back. Like, can I do that? Can I not do that? Right? Uh, do I wear a suit and tie to church, or do I wear jeans and, and a t-shirt? I, I don't know right? Because grandpa always wore a suit and tie, and I, I do this, like, what am I supposed to do? And then all of a sudden, what I'm learning is in, in Galatians, in chapter 5, these Judaizers come and kind of uh, do the Galatians a disservice. And they do them a disservice because they said, hey, we used to operate this way, and you're not operating that way. And if you've ever uh, come across an old saint, and I, I use that term very freely because there's no old saints here. You guys are mature saints, right? And, you got, and all our older generations like, that was really nice of him to say that. I just don't want you getting upset with me and, and you know, crucifying me in the, in the parking lot. Um, but you, you get next to somebody who's kind of an, an older saint, and, and they, they're farther along, they're, they're, they're more mature, and sometimes our legalistic ways come into play, Right? And so they want us to, to mature faster than what we're able to do. And that's what's happening in here in Galatians. These Judaizers are coming in and they're essentially saying, hey, we think that you should do this because we used to do this. And so the Galatians, these, these, these young converts are so confused. They're like, I don't understand. Is it, is it grace or is it works? Are we supposed to work to gain God's approval or does he just give grace upon us? And Paul essentially unpacks for him. He says, well, it's kind of like the difference between a slave and an heir. A slave is constantly going to try to work for their salvation. Like they're constantly going to say, hey, if I do this, then it puts me in right standing with my owner, right? It's like an employee and employer relationship. If I'm an employee, then all of a sudden, like I look at it and I go, well, if I just work for my boss, he or she will, will like me more based off what I do. That's just kind of our society and the way that we live as a society, right? But an heir, if somebody has given you something, you bring honor and glory to them based off what has been given to you, Right? So like as an heir, it's a totally different mindset. I want to bring honor and glory for what has been given to me. And so that's kind of where we land here in Galatians chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 5. This is the big problem. If you go into verse 1, it, it says, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Paul uses the same word twice. For freedom Christ has set us free. And so he wants, before he goes any farther, that these young converts would know that it is by grace that you've been saved through faith in Christ. When you confess that you're a sinner, believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're no longer a slave to sin. You no longer have to work for this. It's been given freely to you. And so now, it's how you're going to bring honor and glory to the gift that has been given to you. It's, it's an heir. God has betrusted or, 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 or given to you, he's trusted to your care, excuse me, this great, wonderful gift we call salvation. And he says, I want you to use it well. I want you to understand how great of a salvation you've been given, but I want you to understand what it means to be more than conquerors and all the verses that people put on their walls in our homes today, right? Most of them out of context, but that's a sermon for another day. If you go back just one verse in chapter 4, look how Paul closes chapter 4. He says, believers, you are not children of the, of the slave, of sin, but you're of the free woman, that's grace. 
And he repeats it again in, 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 in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Christ's work on the cross has set you free. And these Judaizers, these works-based believers came in, and they're pushing these, this, this works on you. They say, if you do this, then God loves you. Let me just tell you something before we go any further. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God cannot love you anymore, and he cannot love you any less than he does right now. He looks at you, and he says, you're my child, and I love you. And I think about it with my kids, right? Like, there's some times where they look at me, and they go, you still love me? And I'm like... Well, yeah, of course I still love you. I just don't like you a whole lot right now. But I always will love you. There's nothing you could do to make me love you any more or any less. And the Galatians are so confused because they're like, okay, we get that. But how are we supposed to gain God's favor? And Paul's like, you already got it if you're children. It's what you do with it. Now look at this in the second part of verse 1. He says, stand firm, therefore, in the grace that has been given to you. And don't submit again. Don't go back to that workspace mentality that I have to do this and God will, will, will have favor. God will love me more if I do these things. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage of you. Okay, well, hold on. What, what, what's circumcision have to do with anything? Okay, so now it's going to get warm in here, okay? Just for a second. I'm glad the fourth and fifth graders took off. Um, circumcision is, at the core... The surgical removal of the male foreskin. And the reason that people do it is biblical and health-related, and that's as far as we're going to go on talking about that. Okay? There will be no slides on that this morning. (laughs) If you circle that word circumcised, it literally means to cut around. Now, this is why it's important, okay? In the Old Testament, circumcision is a religious ceremony required of all Abraham's descendants. Now, I think it's amazing in the Old Testament that God speaks to the way that the body functions, whether male or female. And I think the reason he does that is because it's very personal. And it's very to the heart. And it's very uncomfortable to talk about. And you know what? Sometimes in church we need to talk about uncomfortable things. Because now God can do a great work in our life. And God looked at his people and he said, Abraham, you, are, uh, you and your descendants are going to have this sign, this covenant sign called circumcision. It's in Genesis 17, Acts 7, Leviticus 12. And the Judaizers, remember those are the enemies, if you will, of the Galatians in the New Testament text. They looked at the New Testament believers and they said, you have to do what we've done. You have to participate in this because we've participated in it. Why? Why are they so big on it? Because that was a culmination of the law. It was, you could honor the law, you could strive to honor the law, but this is like, this is like the nail in the coffin, right? This is like the big one. And there's some Old Testament passages where groups of people got circumcised to show that they were cut off from different societies. This completely uh, contradicts if you are pushing this in the New Testament society, that you have to do this in order to be in God's good graces, it completely contradicts being saved by grace. Why? Paul said that even the Old Testament law said circumcision was insignificant to please God. It was merely, Deuteronomy 10, an action, a symbolic action, pointing to the circumcision of your hearts that was to come. Now, the same is true in today's society. There are still things that go on in the church where we look at and we say they're just symbolic actions. For example, the Catholic Church believes that 
in the Eucharist, which is the taking of communion, Jesus is actually crucified again, and he's poured out, and you have transubstantiation, which means that the cup and, and uh, the bread become the actual blood and body of Christ. Christ died one time, not over and over again. So when you think about that this happened in this society in the New Testament, right, it still happens today. And people in those religions will essentially say, if you do that, when you do that, God looks at you and he is more favored. There's more favor that falls upon you. That's not true. God can't love you any more or any less than he already does if you're a child of God. That is, by definition, heresy. That you are participating in something, thinking that you're going to gain God's favor. Okay, so the Galatians command here in the text is don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. And that's like an animal who was under the authority of two things. First of all, the master who was behind the animals who was commanding, you do this for me and this will be the fruit that we produce. And then the other thing was the, the oxen that was next to you. And so here, there's, there's two problems that are facing here, okay? It, 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 it's, it's works gained by God's favor. Now, we would look at that and we'd say, well, why is that such a big deal? Like, why is this, this huge? Well, according to the Midrash, which is the rabbinical commentary on the Hebrew Bible, it specifically says that God swore to Abraham that no one who was circumcised would be sent to hell. As a matter of fact, they taught, even to this day, that Abraham sits before the gates of hell and never allows any circumcised Israelites to enter. That's ridiculous. Father Abraham is not sitting at the gates of hell. Father Abraham is in heaven. <laughs> okay, He wants nothing to do with the gates of hell. If you came and saw Jesus face to face and understood his covenantal promises, the last place you want to be is parked at the gates of hell. Like, that seems like punishment. <laughs> And so here, Jesus also uses the same figure. Circle that word yoke in your Bible uh, in Galatians. The cross reference here is Matthew 11, and he's talking about rest from works. I love what Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says. Jesus says, if you take my yoke upon you, in other words, if you come into relationship with me, if you come into a right standing with me, I'll teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Works is frustrating. Grace is where we find rest. And the Galatians are called to stand firm in this rest against any external action in gaining God's love for them. If the Galatians were to get circumcised, Paul would say, hey, let it be for health reasons, not to gain God's favor. Anyone who declares that we must do something to gain God's favor has missed God's grace. Anyone who comes up to you and says, you have to do this and God will love you more, you've missed God's grace. As it's in abundance, okay? Um, so, I love what happens here. Go to verse two. So Paul says, look, I say to you that if you accept circumcision. So basically what's happening here is the Galatians are like, well, what if we do? Good question, right? Like, little kids do that. Little kids look at us and they essentially say, but, but what if we uh, appeal to what mom said and dad said? Both of you will love us, Right? So essentially what they're saying, what if, what if we do get circumcised and yet still have faith? Paul says, Christ will be no advantage to you. I testify again to every man 
who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated. Now, when he says accept, accept circumcision, he's saying works-based salvation. If you approach God in that way, thinking he'll love you more, he is obligated to keep the whole law. For uh, if you are severed from Christ, you who would be just, you who would justified by the law, you've fallen away from grace. Verse five. For though the Spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness, because in Christ Jesus neither circumcised nor under, uncircumcised counts for anything but only faith working through love. Some of Paul's words are hard to understand. Amen. Okay, so let's see if we can unpack this. What if? I do these things, is what they want to know, Paul. And Paul gets it. I love how empathetic he is. The Galatians want to follow the Lord, but they wonder why they couldn't just have both. It's like uh, radio, right? Remember that movie where he's like, you want apple pie or you want peach pie? I want both. Like, sometimes we just want both. And Paul says, hey, hold on a second. Let me, let me show you what happens if you adopt this circumcision mentality, this works-based mentality. Let me show you what happens in your life and in my life if we start working towards the Lord, if we start just trying to appease our fellow brothers and sisters. Because that's what it boils down to. Is you're trying to appease a person over a Savior. What would happen? Well, first of all, uh, Christ is no advantage to you. Christ is no advantage to you. And that just essentially means that all the rituals that you participate in deny freedom and sonship through God's gifts on the cross. Christ does us no use or advantage if we try to gain his favor. And furthermore, all of his words won't make sense either. Because they all contradict. It's what you do with the inheritance that was given to you. Okay. Secondly, he says you're obligated to keep the whole law, which is impossible. I love this. To accept circumcision would mean one would be obligated to obey everything in the law, not just all the laws given to Moses, but all the laws found in the Old Testament. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine going into somebody's house and they have all the laws written on their walls? What's going on here? We've dumped 1 Corinthians 13, 14, and 15, and we've moved on to these. This is what we live by. First of all, you wouldn't have enough wall space. James spoke to this so well in James chapter 2, verse 10. He said, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So he's essentially saying, by becoming circumcised, Galatians, you're submitting yourselves to an entire system that is doomed to failure. The law is kind of like a window pane. If you break just part of the pane, you broke the entire window. But look at this. He says, you're also going to find yourself severed from grace. This is a hard word here, this severed from grace, because there's so many people who look at this passage of Scripture, they say, see, you can lose your salvation. You cannot, if, if you're my child, you cannot uh, become somebody else's child. You're, you're always going to be my kid, right? Like, by blood, we are, we are here, okay? And it's not talking about falling away from salvation at all. What Paul's saying is there's no middle ground with God. You either serve Christ or you serve yourself. You don't serve both. Anyone deciding to be justified by the law moves outside of what it means to have a relationship with God. Christ can't save those who persist in trying to save themselves. So if you want to circle fall away there in the text, it doesn't mean salvation can be lost. Grace here is a reference to the way of salvation, not the means of salvation. To fall away from grace, one commentator says, is like throwing away a life preserver when you're lost at sea. It's like drifting out, somebody gives you a hand, they're like, I'll save you, and you're like, I, I don't want it. 
okay? John Calvin says this, because we've got to make some application here. Very big on, on explaining this to the Galatians, but how does this apply to us? How does this apply to us today? Well, justification by faith is ultimately what Paul's talking about. And he's saying, if you're justified by faith, this is the hinge on which our relationship with God turns. If we've been saved by the cross of Jesus Christ, that means we are saved. If I'm saved by the cross of Jesus Christ, now it means that I'm also being transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. And Paul's setting up the Holy Spirit here. This is called sanctification. And we will be saved when God gives us new glorified bodies. Salvation first and foremost. I confess that I'm a sinner. Believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Then I'm sanctified, set apart from the rest of the world by the work of the Spirit. Then when I get to heaven, I'm glorified. God looks at me and he says, yes, this is perfect body. This is perfect relationship. If we have faith and law, you miss justification by faith. You miss the whole thing. So look at verse 6. If anyone is going to emphasize a works-based mentality, you're trying to gain salvation in the flesh. So Paul says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. And here is the big point. It is only in Christ. What does that mean? Take it into a relationship with a little kid. It is only for my kids, okay, my 9-year-old and my 11-year-old, it is only in dad we find all the resources we need in order to live, It is only in dad that I am fully dependent to be able to produce any good fruit, right? All the resources they have. (laughs) My youngest looked at me the other day. She said, this is my room. I go, oh, oh, no, 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 sweetheart. This is my room that I let you live in, right? And she looks at me and she says, hold on a second. I thought it was mine. No, no, no. I'm letting, and when you turn a certain age, I'm renting it out to you. When they sit down at the dinner table, right? This is our food. No, 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 sweetheart. This is my food that I've let you eat, right? I keep you alive. It is funny how much we learn about God when we have kids. <laughs> I didn't say I'm God. I'm just saying I learned about God. And then I think to God, I'm like, wow, that makes, makes a lot of sense, right? So Paul's saying, if you want to work for it, you should, just, you should consider yourself still a slave. Oh, but if you're an heir and it's been given to you, you should live accordingly. So I feel like when I wake up, my kids should sing my praises. <laughs> and they don't. They put my covers over their head and they hide. And they say, come back again in 10 minutes. <laughs> we do this every day, don't we? Like, man, I just think about this is how I approach God. I just think about it. I'm like, it's not my world. This is not my church. That's not my pew. That's not my car. That's not my wife. That's God's property that I am called to do something with. How do I use that gift? Do we use it for the glory of God or do I use it for myself? And I say, God, I'm a selfish little kid. I'm a spoiled brat, right? This is a call to action. So what Paul says here, look at this. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, he gives them a call to action. He's like, here, I want you to know what happens. You were running well. Now, Paul constantly uh, sees the Christian life like a race. He says, you want to run the race? you got to start the race. How do I start the race? I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Okay, then I'm going to run the race. But this isn't a fun run, okay? This is, this is no, like, cure for, you know, some cause that is worthless. He says, no, no, no. You were running well. What does he mean by that? 
You came to know Jesus. You uh, lived out your faith. You're obeying biblical truth. You're, you're doing a great job. You were doing a great job. Okay, and, and then he says, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Well, that's the Judaizers. Verse eight, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. No, 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 a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. Now, when Paul says that, he's not being arrogant. He's not being cocky. He's saying, my view is God's view because I'm pointing you to something greater than who I am. I'm pointing you to Jesus. And he says, listen, the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But I... Brothers, still preach circumcision. Why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Verse 12, I wish those who unsettle you, oh man, this is, this is a hard verse too, would emasculate themselves. Woo, okay. What is he saying here? He's saying, first and foremost, what I want you to do is be aware. What persuades you isn't always from Christ. Church, this is important for us today because you are being persuaded. I am being persuaded constantly by images everywhere. I am being persuaded by billboards that are up as I drive down the road. I am being persuaded by social media feeds that are on my phone. I am being persuaded by other people's opinions. I am being persuaded by bosses and, and employees and employers and moms and dads and everybody has their opinion, right? And your opinion stinks because it's your opinion. Here's what Paul says. He says the persuasion that you have is not from God. It is from a works-based system, the Judaizers, and you need to realize where this influence comes from. Christ called you to grace, not works. You're staring at counterfeit $100 bills constantly, and you can't see the real ones because you haven't focused on the real ones. You've got to focus on good, solid, biblical truth. You need to be well-fed in order to figure out what's not a good meal. He says, this, this is a problem for us. Because there's so many people who come up to me and they're like, Pastor Jordan, I got this the other day. It's so good. And I'm like, it's not good. That's not good. That's from somebody else. It's like when people come up and they say, God told me. Whoa, hold on a second. If God told you something it doesn't line up with his word, then God didn't tell you anything. Somebody else told you that. And so here these Judaizers are coming up to the Galatians and they're saying, well, God said. Now here's the crazy thing about what God said. You remember when Jesus was tempted, right? What's he respond back to? Satan uses uh, words from scripture. And he looks back at me and says, where'd you get that from? That's not what it said. You gotta complete the sentence. You got it half right. And so what he says is, he's like, here, listen, look at this call to action. Don't let a little leaven in. This yeast illustration is really interesting because Jesus uses this. And he uses this in Matthew chapter 16. And what he says is, a small amount of evil affects a large group of people. So for the Galatians to get back into the race meant you have to keep heresy out. Because God's judgment is coming. You remember what Jesus said? Look at this. Jesus said, but if anyone causes one of these little ones, he's talking about kids here, 
He says, if anyone causes these little ones to stumble, to believe in me, it would have been better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of sea. Let me just ask you a question. I've been struggling with this all week, okay? So just welcome to my struggle. What have I allowed in just a little bit that is affecting everything else? What have I allowed in to my marriage? Just a little bit, and it's affecting the whole thing. What have I allowed in with raising my kids? It's just affecting the whole thing. I think about this as a pastor of this church. Like, I think about this constantly. What have we let in, right? Maybe it's one of you. Who's my Judas here today? <laughs> Don't worry, they're camping. No, I'm just kidding, right? Man, we think about that all the time. We always, as the Bible says, have to be on guard for these things. Be cautious of your own ideas. Be cautious of your own values. Be cautious of your own agendas. I'll, I'll really drive it home. Be cautious of your to-do list. That doesn't sit right with me. Right? Be cautious, he says. Now look at verse 11 and 12. Paul pushes the envelope and he says, If false teachers were concerned about being passionate for the law, then don't stop at circumcision. Castrate yourselves for holiness. Because if you do that, then maybe you won't produce any more devilish children. And he gets this because in the New Testament, pagan priests of popular cults had eunuchs who ritualistically castrated themselves. And Paul's saying circumcision is no better than pagan rituals. And his hope was that the false teachers would be impotent and not be able to produce any more children. What? Now, here's, what that, here's how that boils down. Jesus says, if you're, I always, uh, it's, it's the right arm, right? I'm left-handed, so I get to keep mine. He says, if your right arm causes you to stumble, what are you supposed to do? Cut it off. If your left eye causes you to, or it might be the right one, I don't know, right? Uh, causes you to stumble, what are you supposed to do? Cut it out. The key to that text is radical amputation. If your cell phone causes you to sin, ready for this? Get rid of it. If you're, no, some of you are like, what about my kids? They cause me to sin all the time. Do I get rid of them? <laughs> Parents right now are staring at me. They're like, don't look. Don't look to the left or right, right? <laughs> what do I do with that? Some things have to stay. And if, if those things are called to stay, ready for this, then I have to change. Uh-oh. So here, what, what Paul says is he's a, at one time, something that was a beautiful sign of God's covenant with his people has been destroyed. And I don't want to speak into uh, things that are going on in our culture, but there are some symbols that we had first that have been destroyed. Hmm. They were ours first. And they have, they've radically changed and he says, listen, at Pentecost, believers, circumcision became as unimportant as any other pagan ritual. Now it's a matter of the heart. And false teachers, then and now, it's heresy. It's not from Christ. Not even a little bit of their teaching or influence is welcomed in the believers' lives. Okay, we have to finish this, okay? Because we have to take communion. Um, verse 13. For you were called to be free as an heir of the throne of God. You're called to be free. Put that on your walls in your house. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, 
but through love. Serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. The whole law is not fulfilled in the act of circumcision. This is a backhanded comment to the Judaizers. No, no, no. The whole law is fulfilled in living out what has transformed in your heart. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, you watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Now let's look at this. He's talking here. He says, this is a transformed life. This is what a transformed life looks like. This is how you become successful in God's eyes. This is how you see yourself as an heir. He says, "Um, I do not have an opportunity for the flesh, but I need to serve one another. And and here's what he says. If you want to be successful, verse 13 and 14, in God's eyes, number one, avoid giving in to the flesh, self-indulgences, but more find opportunities to genuinely love and serve others. Now, this, this just lines up with Jesus' words. This is why Jesus tells you to pray for your enemies. You can't hate people who you pray for. It's impossible. I talked to a buddy of mine the other day, and he says, I've been starting to pray for my enemies. I'm starting to like this guy. I'm going to stop praying for my enemies. Right? I, I, I believe it. I understand what he's saying. My mom used to tell me when I was growing up, she said, Jordan, your idle hands get you in trouble all the time. So keep them busy doing what God wants you to do. Right? So here, what he's saying is, and Paul quotes uh, uh, Leviticus 19, if you're wondering there. And he's saying, listen, the entire law is summarized in a single command to love your neighbors, which is what God did for us, and he commands us to do for others. Jesus affirms this, Matthew 22, Luke chapter 10. He says, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved, to fulfill the law or carry out the law means that you will give that to somebody else, but also you will encourage somebody else to as well. Because circumcision isn't success in God's eyes, service is. Thomas Aquinas says it like this. He says, obedience is the perfection of the religious life. I know we don't like that word religious. But by it, man submits to man for the love of God. Obedience is the hands and feet in action. It's as if God rendered himself obedient unto men for their salvation. Man, I just love that. So he says, if you want to be successful in God's eyes, you'll serve Not just at church, because I think sometimes we think, okay, I'll serve at church. No, no, no. He's talking about taking what you do here and put it into other areas of your life. How you serve your employees, how you serve your fellow, your employer, how you serve your spouse, how you serve your kids, right? If, (laughs) oh man, if integrity is being who you are in the day of who you are in the dark. Service, true service, is who you serve uh, as yourself. You'll also serve somebody else the same way. It's, it's like Jesus' words, uh, treat other people how you want to be treated. And here's what I'm learning. Ready? Ready for this? Because I got this question earlier this week. What happens if I don't like myself? If you don't like yourself, then you haven't seen yourself through Jesus' eyes. And so we have to see ourselves for who we are in Christ, and then we can start seeing other people for who they are in Christ, too, as well. So how do I become successful? I I have to avoid the flesh, and I have to find opportunities to genuinely love and serve other people. Well, well, how do I fail? Galatians started to fail because they started hurting one another, which is to bite like a snake, or the word harm there means devoured like a wild beast. 
And essentially what, what Paul says here, he's, he says, you're starting to turn on, on one another. And uh, I, I read this earlier this week. I'm going to read it to you. It says, to live a transformed life, be successful in God's eyes, avoid failure, gives no foothold to the flesh, but we respond to the Spirit in service. Because when believers lose motivation to love, they become critical to themselves and to others. Like, okay, Secret time, okay? Like this Pastor Jordan, like, like here's confession, if you will. Like I watch people and I'm hypercritical of them in my brain. You do this? Like I like evaluate people all the time. Like, I'm shaking no hands after church today, okay? Because you're gonna be like, he's sizing me up. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I just do it. And I, every time I do it, I think to myself, that's so wrong. Why do I do that? And God's like, because you're a sinner, and he's like, because you don't see people the way that I see. And so if I become, ready for this? Here's, here's like the kicker to the whole message. If I become critical of myself or others, my relationship with Jesus is off. And so how do I get my relationship back? I dive into his word, I spend time in prayer, and I radically amputate everything that harms my relationship with God. So the phone goes away, the computer goes away, and they creep back in all the time, right? But... How I respond to myself and to others is a big indicator of where I'm at in my relationship to Jesus. And it's also a big indicator on how I gain God's approval as an heir or as a slave. To be transformed means you live as an heir. You, you strive to see yourself the way God sees you. You strive for evangelism. You strive for edification. To fail means that you'll serve yourself and remain in your sin. Oof. So the choice is ours, right? One leads to peace and joy. The other leads to problems and pain. Okay, so, um, yeah, what do I do with that? I act accordingly. There's so many times I get done preaching and I go, okay, so what? How do I live this out? Here's how you live this out. You know, I think you know the sin that trips you up and entangles you. I do. I really do. But I think sometimes it's deliberate disobedience that gets us the worst. So my prayer for you is this week you would be deliberately obedient right, to God's word, that you would strive to be in his word, and the areas in which you struggle with, this is why we pray, this is why we spend time talking to God, God, this is where I struggle, this is what's going on, when I am hypercritical about somebody else, immediately I cut that thought off, and I say, God, help me to see that person through your eyes, help me to see that person the way that you see him, help me to see myself for who I am, forgive me of my sins, restore unto me the joy of my salvation, right, okay, Give me success in your eyes. Help me to be aware. Don't let a little in. When I see something enter into our family, I, I get rid of it. If I can't get rid of it, I change my attitude towards it so that I see that I have responsibility here. You are responsible for you. We tell our kids this all the time. You're not responsible for anybody else. You're responsible for you. But what are you doing? And if we were honest, I think so many people would stand here right now and we say, it's not my fault. I didn't do it. I've been influenced. This person did this. This person did that. Stop. Stop blaming others and start honoring the Lord through saying, yes, I, I will. And I don't even want to say do better because that's not it. I will depend more. That's what we have to do. Okay? And I'm still working all this out too. All right? So I'm with you. I'm in your boat. Man, every time I get them preaching, I'm like, I just want to be like, any questions? But, but we can't do that. All right, so, so maybe later. We'll talk about this later, all right? And, and we'll keep it going next week as we continue in, in chapter five. Hey, let me pray for you. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, man, I love preaching your word. It's so good, and it's so convicting. Oh, it's, it's hard. 
just thinking about all these things and about how much you, you love me and you care for me. And this past week, I've just been overjoyed with how much you just, you love me. And then I'm so overwhelmed because I try to gain your favor all the time. And I'm sorry. I try to work so that you'll love me more. I try to work so that you'll think I'm great. And you already do think I'm great. And God, you've entrusted to not just my care, but our care, all of these things. Not to leverage our own self, but to, to leverage your glory and your, your honor. And God, as, as we are being filled right now, I pray that you would open our eyes and, and open our ears. God, speak to us right now about the influences that are, are coming into our minds. And God, make us very aware of what is honoring and glorifying to you and what's not. And then if there's anything, anything, God, would you give us the power by the Holy Spirit, not our own power, your power to push those things out of our lives. I pray that our church would be more than conquerors in you. And they would realize they can do it. I can do it. We can do what you call us to do because of the spirit that lives within us. And God, as we see people who are maturing and growing and as we see people who are, who are doing things uh, that are honoring and glorifying to you, what, can we celebrate those things, God? Would you help us celebrate those things? But here's, here's my real prayer, God. As we see people struggle with things and as we see people who are falling short and, and doing things that, that are not glorifying to you, help us not look at them with a spirit of condemnation. But man, help us to build up our brothers and sisters, to reach out our hands and to help one another. I think it's so important. God, there's, there's just so much within this verse where I just look at it and you want us to be transformed. You want us to, to pray and depend on you. And so in all things that we participate in this week, we pray in every conversation, whether it be with somebody who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that we would open up our mouth and declare the glorious gospel that we have received and show them that we're heirs of you. And then people who know you, God, I pray that we are encouraging this week and we build them up. It's so important as we see the day approaching, as your word says. We long for you to come back again soon. Thanks for this awesome church. I love these people so much. They're so near and dear to my heart. Thank you for allowing us to participate in what you have for us this morning. May we remember these truths as we take communion together. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.